Um, today, uh, we're finishing up this series called Save the Date. Um, and next week, um, I'm really excited about, we're gonna start a brand new series called More. Uh, that I just believe God wants more uh, for us, for you, um, and that, that through Jesus we have. And next week, we're gonna take a, a different look at communion. I know it's something that we do um, every week here uh, because the scriptures kind of say when you get together and when you do this, uh, remember, but we're gonna take a different look at it and it's gonna be uh, really the whole sermon and move things around in the service a little bit to, to share a very special celebration time of, of communion next week. Um, and we're going to talk about things in that series, like seven things of a, or seven um, realities of a renewed mind. Uh, we'll talk about uh, this, and, and you've heard people say it, I've heard people say it, we're like, I don't need church to worship Jesus. Um, we're going we're to talk about some of, of those things coming up. And that series is going to lead us right into Easter. Um, and I'm going to tell you now what I'm going to preach on Easter. Um, we're going to pre- look at the story of the prodigal son, one of my favorite a story, so you can in, invite people now, um, and then that's going to jump us right into Friend Day, uh, which is April 30th. So it's about two weeks after Easter, uh, we're going to have uh, our, our Friend Day this year. Like last week, I was thinking we had 350 people um, in in the room. It's not counting the ones that were online. Last week, online just kind of blew up, and there was 1,100, 1,200 people who watched online, which is just crazy to me, um, but I love it. Um, but I was just thinking about the people in the room and, and the sermon series that's going to lead into Friend Day and, and Friend Day itself is going to be just entitled The One. And here's my thing. If, if 350 people can just focus on and begin to pray for and invite just one, like we'll have 700 people in church in Ken Monday on a Sunday morning. Like that's amazing to me. And it just requires one, like just, just to bring your one. And so we're going to talk about uh, that um, and, and going and and if you're online and you can be here, uh, I want to encourage you that day, because I, I, I get it. There's some of you that you're so far away that it's not reasonable for you to come. But if you can be here that day, I just want to encourage you uh, to come, because one of the, the aspects that you're missing, um, even though you watch online, even though you get the same sermon, even though you get to hear the, the worship, one of the aspects that you're missing is that area of fellowship and that area of community. Um, and we've been talking as a staff even, how can we, how can we bring that to you? We want that for you. Um, so, we're, so we're talking about those things. But if you can be here, I'm going to encourage you to make effort that week uh, to be here. So now, when it comes to dating or, or marriage or relationships, let's get into the sermon or we'll be here till noon. Um, and we still got another service to do. But I, I, like, I'm curious, when, when you think about those things, what, like, how, what do you say to yourself? What thoughts go through your mind when you think uh, about someone you might potentially pursue as a spouse, or if you are married, like what kind of thoughts go through your mind when you think about your spouse? You know, for, for example, if you're dating, like do you say to yourself, hey, I know God is, is working in me, and I know God is working in some other people, um, and, and God's got the, the right person for me. Like God is preparing someone special for me. Um, or, uh, or do you say, man, they're all taken. All the good ones are gone. Seth's already married. Like, I, I don't know, like, wait, what you say. There's a funny story to go along with that, but I won't say anything. <laughs> when it comes to your marriage, like, and, and you're thinking about your marriage, like, maybe your marriage is in a rough spot right now, and, uh, because occasionally, like, every marriage is going to hit some rough spots. 
Do you say things like, well, my marriage isn't perfect, but I thank God that he is perfect and that he is good, and I know that he is working in me and he is working in, in my spouse? Or do you say that, hey, no matter what I do, there's no hope? My marriage is never going to get any better. Divorce may be the, the only option. Like, what do, you, what do you say when you think about relationships or dating or, or marriage? Like, do you speak encouraging and positive, faith-filled words when you think about your marriage? It's really what the question is, what voices are in your head? I don't know about you, but I got voices in my head. I don't even deny it. Because really, they're like, they're, there's really only two main sources that contribute to, to the thoughts in our head. They, they contribute to our beliefs and things. They're like, there's the voice of our Heavenly Father who speaks words of truth and words of faith and words of, of encouragement. And there's, then there's our spiritual enemy. And the only thing that he does is lie. Like in fact, the, the scripture teaches us this. Jesus said this of the devil, said he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus, on the other hand, said in, in John 8, 32, he said uh, that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Late, later on, when John's talk, or Jesus is talking to his disciples in the book of John, he would say this. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying in the book of John, he's saying, man, there is a truth, and I am that truth, and when you know me, you will be set free. And today, like, as we look at this covenant of marriage, like, that is, that is always, I think, always been under attack. Like, and, and now I think it's, we, we see it more often. I don't think it's any, under any more attack than it always has been, but I think with social media and with television and with all of these things, I, I think that we, that we see it that it's under attack more often than we did before. But Satan's goal has always been to destroy the, the covenant of marriage because he knows if he can destroy the covenant of marriage that he can really take out a society. He can take out a church. He can take out everything. And so as we're looking at that and finishing up this, this series today, like the, the sermon title is Four Lies That Destroy Marriage. And we're gonna dive into some, some very real lies that you may not even notice that you're, you're, they're actually going through your mind kind of subconsciously. And I want to deal with the first one. It's incredibly common when it comes to marriages and relationships. And I want to look at this because I believe that the truth will set us free from this lie. And the first lie is this. And, and some of you that are already married, like you're going to know this is, is a lie because uh, you've tried. But it's this lie that says, I can change him or I can change her. How many of you that are married know that's a lie? So if you're dating, look around. Like, I can make him better. Like, I promise I, I can do that. There's an old quote that someone said, men, men marry women hoping they won't change. And women marry men hoping they will change. Inevitably, they're both disappointed. <laughs> right? Like, it, it can be, like, it can be really true. Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there, there's also this kind of old quote, almost joke that says, hey, when you're dating, opposites tend to attract, right? You, you know that, like opposites attract. I think Paula Abdul had a song about that. But when you get married, what happens? Opposites no longer attract, opposites begin to attack. 
Like they do. And, and you know that. The very thing that, that, that kind of brought you together suddenly becomes annoying. And, and you fight when you get married. For example, like you may be dating the, like the most laid back, easygoing guy. Like, oh man, he's so flexible. Just like he, bec- after you get married, you know what he becomes? He never picks up after himself. He's a slob because he's so laid back. He's lazy. So the thing that attracted you early on ends up to be annoying. Oh, and then there's this strong, confident leader lady. You know what happens when she be- you become married? Like she becomes controlling and nagging. And guys, don't laugh too loud or elbow anyone near you. It could be detrimental to your health. <laughs> but what happens over time is we start wishing for something that we don't have. Like in a relationship, we become dissatisfied, and, and sometimes rightly so. You may wish, oh, oh, oh my gosh, I wish he'd make me a priority. Or I just wish her life didn't always revolve around the, the kids. Or you might think rightly so, man, I just wish he didn't drink so much. He has no idea what he's, what he's doing to our family, what it's doing to himself, what it's doing to our kids. Man, or, or I wish that she wouldn't always lose her temper. At some point, you think, man, something's got to change. Something has to change for us to move forward. And you need to recognize, ultimately, when you want something to change, the way that we're tempted to change things is to criticize, like to find the things that we don't like and just begin to criticize and, and nag. And listen, that doesn't work. We whine about what we don't like, and that doesn't work. One day it gets so bad that we even cry about what we don't like, and and that doesn't work. And the reason that it doesn't work is because you or I can't change anyone. Like, we can't. The truth is that only God can change a heart. Only God. Only God. Like, there's no verse in the Bible that says, hey, your nagging will change someone's heart. Your criticizing will change someone's heart. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you a simple tool. And it may appear very obvious, but a lot of times we overlook the obvious for the easy. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you to pray. Because prayer is incredibly powerful. And there's, uh, no, there's, there's two ways that I want to tell you to pray for your marriage today. And the first thing is, number one, is like you pray for God to change them. Pray that, that God, if there's something in your spouse that's really out of, uh, out of line and hurtful in the relationship, pray that God would change them. Ask him to do a work in their life. Um, it's, it's incredibly powerful. I love what the word uh, says in James 5.16. It says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God hears the cries of his people and all things are, are possible. So pray that God would change them. You know, what I love, one of the things I love about Jennifer, not, not the only thing, there's so many things. But, but what I love about Jennifer, like she's always had this incredible prayer life and she journals and she writes stuff down. But you know what I've noticed over the last 27 years of marriage? We had an anniversary Friday. Um, it's, been a, it's been a tough 27 years for me. But, but here's what I've learned over 27 years of marriage is the more of a challenge that I am the more I notice she's actually praying. <laughs> and when I thought she was praying to grow closer to God, like she was actually trying to help me grow closer to God. And she'd always pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And some of you, you've been doing that for, for a long time. You've been asking God to do a work, and it's just, it doesn't seem like it's working. 
I just want to encourage you to be like the persistent widow that we read about in Luke 18. And she just kept going back and going back and going back until, God, until the, they finally relented. And again, just continue to trust, continue to pray, continue to pursue. And, and I want to remind you that marriage, listen, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like we made a covenant that we will stand together till death do us part. And we're in this for the long haul. And sometimes prayer becomes a long part of the journey when we're trusting God to do a work. Like that his Holy Spirit would stir inside someone um, that you're praying for. Like, so listen, don't be complaining, don't be nagging, just be praying for God to work in your spouse. And what I've noticed is, is really powerful when we pray for our spouse. Like I've noticed many times that even though the prayer may not change our spouse, it always changes us. Always. Like it may not immediately change your spouse, but it'll always change you. And so we're going to pray for our spouse. And the second way I want to encourage you to pray is if your marriage is struggling, is to, to pray for God to change you. Pray for God to do a work in, in your life. And what I'm going to say is, is, is not easy for some of you to hear, especially when, when your marriage is struggling. But I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. If you want a better marriage, start by making a better you. Start by looking at the things in your life that, that maybe you need to change. You know, one of the best prayers, I think, that can be found in, in all the scriptures in Psalm 139, um, verses 23 and, and 24, says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, do a work in me. God, find the area of my life that I need to, to, to get rid of. Like, I just don't want to point the finger at someone else, but God, I want you to do a healing work in me. And when you start to pray that, what you'll find is that God will start to change you. And God may change your attitude, or God may change your approach, or God may begin to, to build confidence in you so that you don't tolerate abusive behavior, but you create some healthy boundaries. Or God might start to change your attitude towards someone and you become less controlling or less critical. Or maybe God will, will start to heal a hurting heart and you'll be able to forgive someone that, that you didn't think you had the ability to forgive. God just might build your faith when you begin to pray for God to change you. Like, the devil's a liar. That's what he's going to do. He's going to lie. He's going to tell you that you can change that person. He's going to tell them that all you need to do is, is criticize and whine and push and go a little bit harder, and they'll change. But listen, only God can change a heart. A second big lie that, that a lot of us believe is this, is that a good marriage is always 50-50. A good marriage is always 50-50, which sounds good, and, and it seems right. But I'm going to tell you that it's profoundly dangerous. And, and I'll show you a little formula, that, or I'll tell you a little formula that illustrates this and why it's so destructive. Uh, Craig Rochelle said it this way. He said that 50-50, a half-hearted effort plus a half-hearted commitment equals a whole-hearted disappointment. And it's the very same thing that we see over and over and over again with people that have very good intentions that say marriage is 50-50. Like whenever you think marriage is 50-50, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up keeping score. You're going to end up keeping a little track sheet. 
And anytime you keep score, listen to me, both of you lose. Because marriage was never intended by God to be 50-50. It's always 100% full-on submission, love, and servanthood to the other person. Laying down our lives and our desires to be a blessing for our spouse. And the good news is when you give, God gives back. But listen, you have to give the first 100%. In fact, I think the scripture is really clear on this subject. I've, I've, I've done a lot of weddings and, and most of the time, this, this doesn't happen. But very seldom when I'm meeting with a couple beforehand and, and I'll ask about any scriptures that you want me to read during the service or not read during the service, uh, occasionally a, 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 the lady will pipe up and say, man, that part about wives submit to your husbands, could you just not put that in there? And I usually say no. Here's why, like ladies, like, you have an obligation to submit to your husbands, 100%. That's offensive to some people. But wait, because ladies, I actually think you've got it pretty easy. Because here's what it says to husbands right before that. It says both of you should submit to each other. And then this is what it says in, in, in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just like Christ loved the church and gave 50% for the church and waited for the church to give 50% back. No, 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 no. Like, it's nothing even close to that. How did Jesus give to the church? He gave 100%. He was willing to lay down his life and die for a people that disrespected him, that were rude to him, that sinned against him, that could care less if he died or not. 